Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Now, our conversation goes around this message we call the grace message. What you see in 2022, you need to take time and read Christian history more than Christian history, even older than that, to understand how big this war is. This is one of the oldest wars in the Christian faith. Whether you're talking of um, the earlier years, as men like Origen tried to design what in the church we call systematic theology, because they realized that many believers much as had writings concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ, writings of Moses and many others, there was a certain order that was required in the interpretation of the things concerning these oracles, and there was trouble in interpreting these things. Which came first? Which came last? Which came third? Which came fourth? And Origen tries to bring that particular order, and uh, he's killed because in bringing that order, a lot was open to the eyes of people who at that particular point in the Catholic Church were not even allowed to interpret scripture. They were interpreting it for them. And then we get to the days of um, John uh, Whitfield, killed as well. John Hus, killed as well. Um, Martin Luther, 1500s, he puts that 95-page thesis on the Wittenberg Church. And that debate was, are we justified through works or are we justified through faith? And of course, many people pursued to kill him. By God's grace only was Martin preserved, but they sought his life for a long while. Even the wars that you see later coming through in modern history in Europe, the debates and fights between the Roman Catholics and the Protestants. The foundation of that war was doctrinal. Are we justified through works or are we justified through faith? Unfortunately, in the later days, Protestantism as a movement has become more as a religious organization than it is a contender of the faith and doctrine that Luther gave them. What were they protesting against? They were protesting against the system within the Roman Catholic sense that was teaching justification through works. And that comes with the veneration of Mary, you know, the many other things, the paying of penitence and many other things that a person needed to do to be right with God. Because the fundamental question is, how are we right with God? Are we right with God because of what we have done? Are we right with God because of our faith in Christ Jesus? That war, ladies and gentlemen, up to today still ensues. And that which was only against the Protestant and the Roman Catholic now has become a Protestant Catholic. Now 
Pentecostal, Protestant, and then Pentecostal within Pentecostal, Protestant within Protestant. You see what I'm saying? So the Anglican Church, from its birth in the time of Henry, the transition to the first daughter, and then Bloody Mary takes over, and the son, Edward, and then Mary takes over, and then Victoria takes over. You see a switch in these three siblings, and all of them are switching doctrine. Edward preferred a Lutheran doctrine on a Roman system. And then he dies, and then Mary comes through in history known as Bloody Mary. She prefers a Roman Catholic system on a Roman Catholic doctrine. And then later, Victoria takes over Mary, and then she establishes a Lutheran doctrine on a Roman Catholic system. So Anglican and Rome usually share systems, but they divert a bit on doctrine. Now we see that in some parts of the Anglican, as some parts of our Pentecostal, some have gone back to the Roman system and Roman doctrine in some way. So it's no longer about Anglican Pentecostal, it's about doctrine. And the war really in the world has, is, will always be around doctrine. I see that there are people in the Pentecostal who are struggling with it, who even though are of Pentecostal faith, but when you look at their system and doctrine, it is actually wrong. And what separates these two doctrines? Are we justified through works or are we justified through faith? Almost a quarter of Europe died because of this doctrine. More than a quarter, actually, of the European population died because of this doctrine. So don't call it a usual one. When you see Paul in the New Testament suffering persecution, he suffered persecution because of this doctrine. So there's that which kills them because they're believers, and there's that which kills them because they believe in another way. So we realize that history has taught us there are two ways, and these two ways continue. A man asked this wonderful apologist called C.S. Lewis. He's one of the greatest apologists I've ever read. He's written many wonderful books, and a book that I recommend almost for everyone to read is a book called Mere Christianity. It's a very wonderful read for those of you who want to really understand the deeper parts of God. But in there, somebody asked C.S. Lewis in one of his writings, somebody asked him, what is the difference between the Christian faith and all the rest of the teachings of faiths or religions in the world, whether they're talking of Buddha, Confucianism, Hinduism, whatever ism there is. And then he said, very simple, the message of grace. It's the only difference. Otherwise, if you go in Islam, Sharia is there. If you go wherever, there's always some sort of law that is given to people as interpreted by the book that they are reading or teachings that they have traditionally to sort of earn a certain righteousness with God through the works that these people have had. The difference between the Christian faith and any other faith in the world is the message of grace. To teach otherwise is to teach like the rest of the world does or the rest of the faiths do. They all have the same system, same ideals, same science and geography of this narrative. Somebody say amen. So we realize that there are two ways, namely the way of Moses in acquiring righteousness with God versus the way of Christ. So when Jesus says, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except by me. 
do not only think it or believe little in the interpretation of going to heaven, which is also one of them, that Jesus is the way to heaven. And many of us actually understand that portion of scripture, John 14, 6, only from the aspect of going to heaven. Oh, Jesus is the way to heaven. And that's true. But he is the way to your healing. He is the way to your deliverance. He is the way to your breakthrough. He is the way to the transformation of your life. And in this instance, as I'm speaking, he is the way to not only living a righteous life, but extending it to the rest of the people that are around you as you continue to set the example of the signs of righteousness through faith. He is the way. So there are two ways. And I'm going to make a fundamental statement and I'm going to spend the rest of the minutes that I have with you explaining that fundamental statement. These two ways are differentiated in one simple statement. By Moses, we work to become. By Christ, we become to work. Can I say it again? By Moses' way, we work out and do everything necessary to become righteous. By Christ, we are righteous. We become righteous. And when we start from righteousness, the works start to follow. In Moses, the works come first to earn our place with God. With Christ, our place with God is cemented and sealed by the finished work of Christ. And then from that place of positioning, then the works of God start performing, as are performed in us through our faith in what has been finished through Christ. Now, I'm going to take time to explain this deeply because it's important for you to understand it and perhaps understand why many of us are struggling with things that just won't leave us. Some of you also in this are going to realize why there is always going to be war against people who preach this gospel, like me, and the rest of them who are going to continue preaching this gospel. Why the world will always have a problem with us. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now, the fundamental question before we begin is, what was the responsibility or work of the law as intended by God? You need to firstly understand what the law was sent for. And then when you understand what the law was sent for, then you understand how it is to be used. Because we have people who don't even know the use of the law. It is like being given a car. It's wonderful. Congratulations, you have a car. But do you know how to drive that car? Because if you do not know how to drive that car, you're in trouble. You will not move it. Or if you do move it, you'll crash it. So to have one thing or be given a thing and to know how to use it is also another what? Wisdom. Why was the law given? Now the Bible tells us that when you study the law, it speaks to them which are under the law. And the end of that, Romans 3.19, is that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may become guilty before God. That's fundamentally the work of the law. The law is given, Romans 3.19, 
that all mouths may be stopped and that all men may be guilty before God. That's Romans 3.19. Understand this. Why is it important for you to understand it? Because in what the law is given to do, there is no redemption. In the work of the law, there is no transformation. The law was never sent to change a man. The law was given only and only to prove that every man is guilty and that where you might find yourself speaking, you are silenced by your own weakness and iniquity. Why? Because the Bible tells us that he that offends in one offends in all. That's what silences us. The law shuts every righteous, seemingly righteous person up by works. If you're righteous by works, the law will shut you up and prove you guilty. And as God has said it, that if you offend in one, you have offended in all. James 2.10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. What does that mean? You know, you have this Christian who reminds me of the Pharisees in the Gospels. One Pharisee stood up and prayed this way in Luke 18. He said, God, I thank you that I am not as other men. Are you following? He said, I am not an extortioner. Take. I'm not an unjust person. Take. He says, I'm not as an adulterer. Take. Or even a publican. Thank you. Because I'm not like that. And then he continues to say, I give tithe, my common and mint. I do everything right. I'm a very righteous man. And then another publican is saying, oh God, I know that I have sinned and he beats his breast and says, be merciful to me. And the Bible tells us, and God responded to this man and ignored this man who was seeking self-righteousness. I want you to understand how the Pharisees thought. That is why when Jesus wanted to draw the standard of living right, he quoted and said, except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. He said, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of God. Except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. Those boys were blameless. If you study Paul in his earlier years of Judaism, he tells you that I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. And it says concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Touching the righteousness of the law, he says, I was blameless. That means if you brought civil or these 10 mosaic laws, whatever law you were to bring, these boys were blameless. So why would he need a savior? Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Why would he need Jesus? Do you know that the people who have been raised in the law or the religions of this world, which foundationally are mosaic in interpretation, if you ask them, what does somebody need to do to get to heaven? Do you know the first thing they'll say? He just needs to do good things. That's what all of them say. They say, no, no, no. He just needs to do good things. Let's go back to you. God has said that if you break one, you have offended in all. Just give an example. A certain person has murdered a person. 
What a sin. And some sins are even criminal. He has killed somebody. Take him to a prison. What a wicked man he is. Who does this? But then, you sweet woman, you're so good, you only occasionally tell a lie. Occasionally. You lie to babies, I'm coming back, and you don't come back. You call it healthy compromise. Come on, can God judge that? When we were growing up, there are songs they used to sing in Africa. They used to sing that song of, when Jesus comes, what will he find you doing? And you know, the wildest thing comes to our head immediately. You see? And then you say, ah, now somebody will be caught with another person's wife. Ah, that one immediately. <laughs> but then, for you, you say, ah, but what about whom God will find her? She's in the middle of a lie. I didn't steal it, or I didn't say, yet she had said. You say, mm, this one, God would understand. But what about the other one? Because you think that your sin is less than the rest. That is why many of you, even though you're living like humble here, Within you, you are a very judgmental person. Because every time you compare yourself with others, you combed your hair, they didn't. You see? You bathed, they did not bathe. So that makes them what? Unclean. For you, you make very simple English lies. For them, they make African ones. Huh? And you know that group of people who think everything good has to be white, white collar, white lie. Mwe. Yeah. God says even that small lie, if you have offended in that one, to heaven you are exactly like Connie, the rebel leader. You laugh. But I know some of you say, ah, ah no, pastor, come on. That guy, yes, you either fulfill all or offend in one and you have offended in all. Why? Because the end of it is simple. To make you understand that when it comes to the law, you have your issues too. Even the sin of thought, the sins of presumption. See, he says you just need to look at a woman lustfully or a man lustfully and you have already committed adultery. Adultery. The Bible has said you have committed adultery. How they caught this man with another man's wife? Eh, eh, eh. Don't tell me. Listen. You are the same. You have also committed exactly the same. To heaven, you're both adulterous. But me, I don't do it. Because you see, the sin principle begins from here. Some of you forget. That's why there are Christians here. If you just got a screwdriver and opened this cup and plugged uh, some sort of thing on their brain and then copy that and paste and then you put it on a computer and watch it for two seconds some people from the day you come back in Fanero when they are coming you just do like this thoughts only because there are people with the wildest thoughts and that's why many people miss the work of God in deliverance because he no longer goes with these women in those rooms he thinks that he's delivered from perversion that is not true deliverance. True deliverance is when your mind cannot go in that room anymore. 
But even if you, you know, some say, I'm a virgin. What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? Don't scare me. Somebody shout hallelujah. We have to understand God's standard. Not what the world's, no, I'm talking about God's standard. To understand the purity of God. What God understands with holiness before we define what the world does. Because every time God shows you exactly his true definition, his intention is to make sure that you can see for yourself that you are guilty of one, therefore guilty of all. That's the work of the law, not to redeem you. The Bible says, by the law, no flesh shall be justified. By the law, no flesh shall be justified. If you understand that, you've understood the beginning. Why? Because if you see the end of this way of Moses and realize there can never be justification, and then you see this way again of Moses and realize the end of it will find you guilty eventually then it's easy for you to understand even before you begin it where it will end. Because the biggest percentage of Christians in the world are under Moses and they don't even know. They don't have a clue. Is the law bad? No. Jesus says, who is good except by the law? But only to show me what I was supposed to do and what I was not supposed to do, period. It does not add on. The Bible tells us that the law was a schoolmaster to lead us to Jesus Christ. That means the responsibility of all that Moses has given us was simple, to carry you from your darkness and then lead you to Christ. Galatians 3.24 Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. And the moment the law brought us to Christ, that was it. Because as long as you are under the law, you are a child, you are a baby. It doesn't matter whether you have 20 PhDs, a master's degrees in theology, it doesn't matter how many you know, apparels you put on because you're a religious leader, as long as you are under the law, you are a child. The message version says that the law was like those Greek tutors, uh-huh, with which you are what? Familiar. Who escort who? Did they say adults? No. They escort who? To what? To school and protect them from danger or destruction, making sure that the children will really get to the place that they are supposed to what? to go. That's the responsibility. Like a woman who is holding a child in a supermarket and then as you're moving, this child sees this thing and then she's trying to touch it and say, hey, you understand? And because it's a taming work, it also comes with some punishment. Why did you cross the road? Pa! Before I told you, wait, come. You understand? Because it's a tutor. Next verse says, but now that you have arrived at your destination, next verse, by faith in Christ, you are in direct relationship with God. That means you are no longer under. Yes. If you read that from the KJV, he tells us, verses 25, Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Verses 25. But after faith is come, what did he say? What did he say? We are no longer under a schoolmaster. Do you know how many people in this room don't believe that portion of scripture, even though they believe in the Bible? But they don't believe Galatians 3.25. That after faith is come, we're no longer under the schoolmaster, the law, but under Christ. Now, grace is a revelation 
It is not something you'll explain to somebody and assume that they have understood it because they can repeat it in the ears of other people. Grace is a revelation. Are we following what I'm saying? It's a revelation. That is why in Romans chapter 4, when Paul is talking about this experience, he uses the word finding. He says, what shall we say then about Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh has found? What did Abraham find? What mystery did he find out? What mystery did he discover? It was not something that was as direct as was. He discovered the mystery. You know, the Bible says, and the scriptures for us seeing that God would justify the Gentiles through faith. The scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles through faith. The Bible says he went afore or before and preached this gospel to Abraham saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. Abraham took time when God appears to him and tells him, in thee shall all nations be blessed. Seven words. In thee shall all nations be blessed. Seven words. And it's a simple statement that was simply, you know, as interpretable to the layman as, you know, through me, people are going to be blessed. But right there is all nations. It was a statement. All nations shall be blessed. Now, I want you to understand the power of revelation. Because I tell people, if you are going to connect to the spirit of revelation, you must, within your meditation, learn the way of contemplation. What is contemplation? Contemplation within the mystery of revelation is the ability to open your spirit in the pondering of the oracles given, that God might, by His grace, give you the true vision of interpretation concerning what He has said. Because it's one thing for God to say something, and it's another for you to carry the power to interpret it. Do you understand what I'm saying? To interpret it. That's revelation. Revelation is the power to interpret divine oracle. And within our places of meditation, not only is there a place of the creative faculty, even as we matter the things that must be brought from the world which is not seen to the world which is seen. But also there is a place of contemplation and the place of contemplation is the opening of your heart to allow God to explain or demystify what is hidden, apocalypsis, the unveiling of things for you that the eyes might have the right light to see through the light of the Spirit and that the right light of truth might be cast on the things that you must see. Because if you cannot see that, then you cannot walk in the Spirit of revelation, especially ministers. Otherwise, your sermon will be like a Nigerian move. Predictable. No offense to Nigerians, eh? Yeah, no offense, brother. I'm just giving an example. Yeah, but have you watched those movies where you know how it's going to end? Because if a wicked mother kills a certain person, then that person's spirit has to return and then avenge the death by also messing up with this wicked woman so that they find balance to God be the glory. They're the most predictable things I've ever seen. They even help the person who does not understand that even in the narrative, they will be singing in the narrative to explain, Oh, God does not have a food. The food that is eating is stolen food. Like, in case you've missed the narrative, by the way, this guy or Jogo, he doesn't have food. And the only food he's using is what? It's stolen. I am tired of suffering. So, like, they have to narrate to you so that by the time you what? You get there. 
you don't lose it. That kind of singing in the song is that what? To help the one who might lose the story to be a part of the what? So it's so predictable. It's not like those American movies where you need to figure out, by the way, why did they kill this person? Then you rewind. No, these ones, they are direct. And once I told a story why I stopped watching Nigerian movies. One time I was watching a Nigerian movie and a demon was coming to avenge the death of another person. And then it reached on the road and cars were crossing and then it turned left <laughs> and right. And a ghost of a woman, it was putting on white. This, oh, it's going to kill me. And then it turned like this. I said, eh, Nigerian ghosts even fear cars. <laughs> From that day, I stopped watching Nigerian movies. It disrespected my intellect. I felt abused that a ghost would look left and right. Ugandan ones don't. Cars just go through. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Are you learning something though? Abraham is given a statement, in thee shall all nations be blessed. And then he takes time to contemplate. And as he's pondering on this oracle, God starts to connect things for him. And in connecting those things, he found a mystery. So when Paul is writing in Romans chapter 4, he's explaining to us what our father concerning the flesh, Abraham, has found. And this is it. Verses 2. He says, For if Abraham were justified by works, he has whereof to glory, but not before God. So he discovered that if I am seeking a justification of works, I cannot. It's only through another way of justification, not of works. If I do of works, there is no glory that's going to follow me. He has found it. He's discovering things. But remember where it came from. I will justify the Gentiles through faith. How can such a simple statement be a message of the New Testament? Why? Because if you think about it intricately, the Jews thought that they were the choice people, that any other nation in the world was not chosen to carry an inheritance with God. And now God is telling Abraham that in thee all nations will be what? Blessed. That means God is going to extend the message of election and inheritance to a people which did not receive Jewish law. So Abraham connects and says, if they're not going to have the law, but they're going to be justified, how else are they going to be justified? Ha, ah, it has to be another way. Not by the law, but by grace. So if they're going to be justified by grace through faith, then even I, Abraham, as their father, I have to start early to understand the justification through faith. Because it's by that that I shall have children to inherit the promises of God, whether by law or without law. You see? Contemplation. He connects it. You see, God can give you a statement that can revolutionize your life and you might never know. God can say one word, but because we have not been taught to contemplate, to sit and hear more, many of us miss deeper responsibilities that come with the instructions that he has given us. And for such, we only do shallow ministry. We never touch the core of our responsibility as God has given us. Some of you need to even go back and revise what God told you and really break that through and understand it deeply. 
you'll be amazed at what you will see or you will find because these are things that a person will seek through to understand. These words are life to them that find them and medicine to all their flesh. These words are life to them that find. There's a finding. There's a disintegration of things and breaking forth and demystification to make sure that you get to the light with which God wants you to connect to. Are you following? So he says there is no glory where I seek justification through works. Verses 3, for what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. He simply believed. Now this is the way of Christ. I told you there are two ways. There's the way of Christ. A man simply believes in God and it is counted for righteousness. The way of Moses, you have to do everything that is written in the law. And once you fulfill that, then you are righteous. You can't mix both ways. You have to choose one way. Praise the Lord. Now he continues to say in verses 4, now he's explaining what I was trying to tell you here. Now to him that worketh is the reward not recon grace but of debt. That means if you're the kind of person who believes that you have to do everything right to earn God's favor or to please God, then the reward God gives you because of what you have done is not a work of grace. It's a debt because it's rewarding you for what you have done. But the Bible says in the next verse, but to him that worketh not, but believes on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. But to the one who says, I am believing in God, that I'm the righteousness of God, before I have done or even when I have done anything. The Bible says that man's faith is counted for righteousness. Why? Because he justifieth the ungodly. Are you reading that statement? He justifieth the ungodly. He makes right the ungodly. He makes or justifies, makes right or justifies or he pronounces right the ungodly. Woo! Do you know right now, eh, if your foundation has been the law, right now something is disturbing you. You don't know its name, but it's there. It's called the spirit of legalism. But don't worry, by the end of this sermon, you'll be free. Yes. And the problem is not the scripture. No, the problem is that for almost all your years, you understood this way, Moses. Now I'm trying to show you this way and it is becoming so hard for you. Eh? Cognitive dissonance. Your brain is trying to connect how justifying the ungodly. Okay, what do the ungodly need to do to be justified? Romans 4, 5. To him that worketh, but believeth on him, that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. Now, do you understand why we shall be stoned? Because we believe Romans 4, 5. His faith is counted for righteousness. That a man is right only because they believe in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins. Now, Whenever I preach this, the people from this way, the first mistake they do is this. They jump to Romans 6. Immediately. Shall we continue to sin so God should come? Yeah, yeah, you know, but shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? You know why they ask that question? One, it is because they assume 
that they understand the first five chapters. They, not me. They assume they understand the first five chapters. Because Romans 6 can become so dangerous when you've not understood the first five chapters. This I've spoken is in Romans 4. Let us first finish Romans 1 to 5, then ask in 6. Understand the order of things. Don't first rush to chapter 10 and assume you've understood 8. Or if they don't assume that they understand the first five chapters, in other instances I've seen, they think that we don't understand the first five, us, who are teaching it. Or they think that you can get to number six without understanding the five, which is not possible. Let's walk slowly here and first understand this four, five chapter. Then when we do, I'll answer six. Chapter six, I'll answer. Because we first get people here, then we answer six. The problem with our people today, many people are still here in the law and we're trying to ask question number six. First shift people from the way of Moses and take them to the way of Christ, not only by salvation, but in understanding and revelation. He wills that all men be saved and that they might all come to the knowledge of the truth. First bring them here. When you bring them here, then ask number six. But not only through the testimony of salvation, no. Firstly, make them understand how living the life of righteousness looks like through faith. Then we shall ask question number six. I'll come to it before I finish. But let me finish chapter four. Are we okay? So, he says, verse six, even as David also describes the blessedness of this man, that means even David, through contemplation, in his meditation, also found the revelation. He says he's a blessed man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. He's a blessed man unto whom God imputes what? Righteousness without works. David saw that vision. And verse 7, he said, Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So when David saw that revelation of blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered, blessed is a man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. He realized if God covers a man's sin, imputes not sin, then the obvious mystery is the imputation of righteousness without works because he meditated, he contemplated, and he found the same mystery. So Paul connects what Abraham found and what David found and is saying that in David's generation, not many people understood this message. He's also trying to tell you in Abraham's generation, not many people understood this thing. So don't expect that people in this generation will understand it because it is a something that you have to find through deliberate study. Now, there are people who are even told, don't even listen to him. Now, you see why? <laughs> because the devil knows what will happen. If people discover, the Bible says the law produces priests with infirmity. It will never make you perfect. That is why in verses 2, Abraham could not find glory seeking justification through what? Through works. If you live that kind of life, you can live so right, but without results. And I know people like that who say, but me, I don't cheat, I don't steal, I don't do what? Yes, they are living so right but they don't live a glorious life. You get the difference? They don't live a glorious life. 
Do you know a person who is living under that law? Even if they live right as they can, the things that even are not supposed to kill them, kill them. And then you say, but what did this person do? They were good people. Because you see, their righteousness, however good it can be, it's still filthy. It will never match up to the righteousness of God. And they refuse to take the righteousness of God. That's why some of them, I'm telling you, some people who are even living under the law, you'll discover in a few years that some of them are not even yet born again. They think they are, but they have not understood the mystery of the cross. Romans 10, Paul says that I fear, now after having understood all of this, don't worry, I'll come back. He says, I fear for my brethren, the Jews. Let's begin from verses 1, Romans chapter 10, verses 1. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer is for Israel, that they might be saved. Why is he praying for their salvation? Because, verses 2, I bear them a record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to what? Knowledge. So you understand why Paul persecuted the church? He had a zeal of God. Why are you teaching about the message? You are misreading our people. I'll kill you. You understand? The zeal is there. But it's not according to what? To knowledge. He says, for they being ignorant of the righteousness of God are going about to establish their own righteousness and have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. They have gone ahead to establish their own righteousness and have refused. They have refused. They have refused. They, that's rebellion. That's rebellion. They have refused to submit themselves to the righteousness of God. They're saying we see the way there, but for us we choose here. Moses, we will die here. Paul says, for Christ is the end of the law. Christ is the, verse 4, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. When a man is here, we don't discuss the law. We discuss faith in Christ. Christ is the end. He's the end of the law. For what? For righteousness to everyone that believeth. Let me tell you the hardest thing for a man to believe, that they are the righteousness of God. That's the hardest thing. They can believe anything, but not that they are the righteousness of God. Why? Because if you're living here, every time you mess up, that righteousness leaves you. And you need to dress again. Because it's not on faith. It's in works. It's based on your performance. Now, if a man walks out after this service, he'll quote me wrong because I've not finished. Do you understand what I'm saying? Ha! What I found there? That generation is gone. No. We are still in chapter 4. Now, he asks the fundamental question, verses 9. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only? Does this blessedness which David speaks of come upon those who are fulfilling the law? Or uncircumcision also. Oh, it's for those who even don't know the law or don't, you know, leave the law, but they are believing in God. How does this blessedness come? Oh, you know, you're confusing the Ten Commandments with the civil laws and what? Listen, whichever law is written of Moses, if in its own sense as broken leads to sin, is all implied in this teaching because it's all sin. Are you following what I'm saying? Sin is sin. Now, how does this blessedness come? Does it come to the circumcised, no keepers, or the uncircumcised? Then Paul says, don't look at me. I don't want to bring a new doctrine. Let us go back to Abraham. How was this faith? 
for we said that faith was reconned to Abraham for righteousness. Verses 10. How was it reconned? Question, listen. When in circumcision or in uncircumcision did God count righteousness on this man in circumcision or uncircumcision? First understand this. Did God count Abraham righteous because he was circumcised or before he was uncircumcised? And Romans, Paul answers you, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. That means the righteousness of faith comes before he fulfilled any of the law. Any of the law. This is the hardest. Now, verses 11. This is now where the answer comes. And, listen, he received the sign of what? Aha. That's where we people who believe in grace miss it. That a man cannot receive righteousness through faith and the signs of living right don't follow. I have you. Some of you say, oh, I am the righteousness of God and the grace of God is operating on my life. The true sign of a person who has matured in grace is that the fruit of living right starts to manifest through you. If it has not yet, then you still not understood grace. Who has understood what I just said? Are you following? But to understand this, I need to explain it so I don't lose you. Because a man was here with God and he was under the what? The law. And then the schoolmaster, the law said, uh -uh, I'm here to just show you that you can't. Have you agreed? Yes. Now that you can't, let me take you to one who can help you. Mm -hmm. So the man came out of the law and came under grace. Every time this man will make a mistake to come back here, the law will always show him you can't. You can't. You can't. You can't. Every time he lives here, righteousness through faith will tell him you are. You are. You are. You are. You are. Why? Because by the wisdom of God, it is right and in order to live what you are than trying to become what you're not. Who has understood it? Have you understood me? It is easier to say, I'm a Muganda man. It is easier to speak Luganda than trying to speak Luganda when you're not a Muganda man. What God first does is to take the Christian from here and first take them here. It's the work of salvation. But it does not only end in believing in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It also takes the responsibility of receiving the righteousness of God through faith. Now, when a man receives this here, and the Bible says, verses 10, he gave him righteousness before he had done anything. That means even in moving from here to here, he crossed with his weaknesses. I want you to know he crossed with his weaknesses and circumcision. He crossed with his madness, his hatred, you know, his perversions, his sleeping around, what? But he was born again, but he had these issues. So God teaches us that he has to first get this man from here and first impute righteousness on him. Blessed is the man of whom the Lord covereth his sins, of whom the Lord will not impute sin. Does that mean that the man has not sinned? No. But there's something God is trying to do, and I don't want you to miss it. God is trying to firstly make sure, help this man understand that he is his righteousness. Like parents, 
Hmm? Imagine you have a child and every time you're telling them, here, you are stupid. You have to be wise. You are stupid. You have to be wise. That's what the Lord says. You are stupid. You have to be wise. You are stupid. You are stupid. You are stupid. You are stupid. What does that child become? Because your tongue has power. Do you understand? You are a thief. You are a thief. You are a thief. You are a thief. You will suffer. You are a thief. You understand? By the way, you are talking the reality, the truth, that that boy is a what? He's a thief. But by calling him so doesn't make him better. By telling somebody that they're a liar doesn't make them to say the truth. Are you following what I'm saying? So God says, because I'm also a parent, let me call you even before you change. Because I expect, as I continue calling you that, you will mature and know why you must tie your zip. Now, if he continues calling you that, and then you find yourself living this way every year, then either you're taking his grace in vain, you're abusing it, or you just don't understand it. When you see somebody struggling and continuing in sin because they've had message of grace, they've not understood it. And to help them understand it, you don't take them back to the schoolmaster. Keep telling them that you must look what you are. But they have to first be it because that's why many people lose it. I remember when we were under the law, even our prayers were like, God, I'm stupid, I'm useless, I don't have anything. Right? You understand? We belittled ourselves. And let me tell you something. Imagine your child is saying that. Imagine you're sitting next to your child and your child says, Mommy, I'm stupid, I know, I don't have wisdom. I, there's nothing in me, surely. I can't even cross the road. My brain is as small as an ant. <laughs> there's nothing in me. I can never amount to anything. You know what you do? Natural parent, you say, hush! You are clever, you are this. Why? Because that's how God works. He speaks righteousness. And as Abraham continued believing in that, the Bible says he received the sign of circumcision. God started to circumcise him. God started to, you know, you just find yourself. Recently, I was telling a story. A young lady wrote me an email and said, Apostle Grace, I've been living with this man, I love him, I want to marry him, but after I've been sitting in church, I realized, no, I can't continue living with a man when we are not married. I've packed my bags back home because I feel I have a better value, I'm of a better price. Why? As righteousness comes, she starts to realize, and let me tell you, by the way, women, women, your price defines your buyer. Hello? Your price what? Defines your buyer. If you say, I'm worth waiting for, your buyer will come to wait for you. If you say, I am worth being picked in my father's house, not following him after a Tuesday, your buyer will pick you from your father's what? House. If you say my price is an iPhone, that means every man who can buy an iPhone can buy you. If you say your price is just a house and a good car, that means every man who can afford a car in this world has you. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you say, ah, me, my price is, we first eat cookies, then we marry, 
then the one who first eats cookies to marry you will come. If your price is no cookies until we marry, then the one who will wait for you to eat cookies when you're married will be the one who will what? Tell your neighbor, define your value. Are you following what I'm saying? Now, God has to bring this man here. As you continue telling him like a parent would tell their child, imagine your child fails in class and then you justify them by saying, no, you are wise. You are wise. You are wise. As you continue telling that child those words, some seeds are being what? That is the way of Christ. I know a lady who told me, Apostle Grace, I never slept with any man until I got married. And she told me, but do you know why I didn't? Because my guardian kept telling me, I believe in you. Just her guardian kept telling her, I believe in you. That righteousness imputed that I believe in you. Then you have to go, you understand? <laughs> you are going to do this. Some parents, as though they are correcting, they say what the girls will do. You are going to go to school and start sleeping with the boys. You've planted. You've planted. You've planted. You've planted. Do you know this same God who I'm talking about created the earth out of nothing? Do you know what it's like for that God to say you're a thief? Do you know the power of his tongue? If he says you are a thief, do you know the power of that tongue? So, if you read very keenly in Romans here, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had yet being what? Uncircumcised. And for such, he became the father of all of them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed on them also. So every time we read Abraham, righteousness is imputed on us. So when we say, Father Abraham had many sons, had many sons, how did he become your father? Because he believed in the righteousness through faith. And when he becomes our father, even though we're not circumcised, the righteousness will be imputed on us also on the account of what Abraham had with God. Now, next verse, follow, next verse. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had been yet what? Uncircumcised. Next verse. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That even when God promised Abraham that you're going to be the father of the world, he didn't receive that through works. That your seed shall be the heir of the world. He didn't receive it through works. Why? Because in his one lifetime, he could not produce the whole world. But it was also through the righteousness of what? Faith. He simply believed God because God had said it. God had said it. And when the Bible says, that means if you want to walk in the promises of God and you want to activate the promises of God, live here. Receive everything God has spoken on you through faith. Whether circumcised or not, first live here and let God handle your weaknesses. That's the difference between trying to walk out of sin and God taking it out. Now, next verse. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect. Verses 15, because the law worketh wrath. 
Every time a man is here, God will always find a reason to be angry with him because he won't fulfill and he has refused to receive one who can help him to fulfill. So the law will always work what? Wrath. For where there is no law, the Bible says there is no what? Transgression. That doesn't mean that there is no weakness, but that God deals away with the transgression. He fixes you as you continue to believe. But do you know how many people's doctrines right now have broken in just these few minutes? How many people right now in their head are struggling? Because I've read Romans chapter 4. I'm coming to 6, don't worry. Verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be what? by grace, to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only that which is of the law, but to also the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. When it comes to the New Testament, he says that for all of us are children of Abraham. We are the ones on the side of righteousness through faith. We are not children of Moses. All of us in the New Testament are children of Abraham. Next verse. As it is written, you see, I've made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they are. You are my righteousness, even though he's not yet living a righteous life. But God has to call those things that be not as though they are, so they can become. That is what I was trying to tell you. That the way of Moses tells you, you are not righteous, try to be. The law of Christ tells you, you are righteous, live it. Represent who you are. And it does not only tell you, it helps you. It helps you. It helps you. Do you know why this doctrine is too dangerous to hell? Because men will walk out of sin effortlessly. No, by show of hands, be honest to yourself. How many of you, when you started to hear this message, weaknesses started leaving you? You just woke up one day and you couldn't drink, you couldn't go to club, just put up. That's what the word does. It starts to take things out of you that you tried to take out and failed. And then when you come here, it starts to take them out. That is why many of you, you see transformation in your lives. Your parents send me messages and say, hey, my son changed. But what really changed? The boy sat under the word and allowed God to take that out. The sign of circumcision takes place as a man yields to truth. If you cannot preach truth, men will never be free. But the problem is that the truth that we are teaching from the Bible is not the truth traditional churches teach. Now we either have to choose to stay to what people think is right, but even they who teach as right as they think, they also still have scandals. They still have drama. They too have issues. Even though they preach it right, they also have what? Issues. Because the deliverance begins by shifting a man from there to here. So God imputes righteousness and starts to deal with you as he speaks good over you. It's like, let me tell you, you get a person who is weak and start telling them you are great, you are strong, you can overcome this. Just continue speaking those words. You'll see people change. There is nothing you're going to fault a Christian that they don't already know that they have done. You're going to tell me that I stole? I already know. I just don't have the power to what? To stop. But the power to stop comes in what Christ is doing 
as he continues speaking, you are my righteousness, you are glorious, you are my wisdom, you are my image. As those words continue coming to you, that's the message of grace. Really, to speak and impart what God is saying on a man until they become it. Now, if you're the kind of person who has been dealing with, uh, you know, addictions, things that have refused to live, this is exactly what is happening to you. You sometimes live here and sometimes you come back here. And then sometimes you come back here and then sometimes you come back here. When you live those two lives, a double-minded man cannot expect to receive anything from God. If in reading you of your guilt, eh? understand this, if in reading you of your guilt, when you fall, does not present the picture of conviction for you to live right, but rather continue to sin because God does not hold you accountable. That's abusing everything this position represents. That means you have not understood why grace was sent, why Jesus came. I tell people sin was so bad that Jesus had to die. That's how serious sin is to heaven. So don't think that because you're under grace, you should lose the understanding of why Jesus came. If sin was a trivial thing, then Jesus wouldn't have died. But God coming in the flesh shows you the seriousness of sin. And then he shows you a way out through Jesus Christ. Somebody shout hallelujah. But he has to call the things that be not as though they are. Now we can go to Romans 6 and understand what Paul said. When Paul says, shall we continue in sin so grace should abound? Listen to Paul's answer. Please listen to Paul's answer. Paul doesn't say, no, don't. Paul adds and says, how? He asks, how? Read, God forbid, he said. And then he continued, how? He's asking how somebody who has understood grace can continue walking in sin. How? Now, do you get it? It's not about no. It's about how. How? How do you understand grace and continue in sin? How? Because when Paul doesn't understand it, you need to teach us how you do it. He says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? How does that work? The answer is no, not because we shouldn't, but no, because it can't be. That's what he's saying. More than we shouldn't, it can't be. How can you, how? How do you repudiate the grace of God? How do you abuse it? And then just say, because I'm the righteousness of God, therefore I'm just going to continue sleeping around. How? He says it's not possible. Now that's understanding grace. That's understanding what? Grace. Have I answered Romans 6? Eh? So, Galatians 2.15. Paul is saying, we Jews know that we have no advantage of birth over non-Jewish sinners. We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus. How do we know? We tried it. Paul says, we tried it. We had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement. We believed in Jesus as the Messiah so we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not trying to be good. Some of you noticed that we are not yet perfect. Some of you have noticed that. Some of us, among us, there are people in one area. Maybe you are not a liar, but you are this. Maybe you're not this, but you, you, you understand. Not all of us are living perfect. He says, no great surprise 
And are you ready, like many people do, to make the accusation that since people like me, who go through Christ in order to get things right with God, aren't perfectly virtuous, Christ therefore must be an accessory to sin. And that accusation is frivolous. You have not understood what we are teaching. If you think that I'm telling people to sin, you have not yet understood me. I'm just telling people not to go through Moses. I'm telling them to go through Christ. It's the simple message. Because all of these are ways, but they must choose the way that will guarantee victory. It is easier to allow God to take things out of you as you yield to truth than trying to take things out of you without taking the help of God through Christ. That's what we're teaching. So, some take this way. In Fanero, we have chosen this way. We choose this way. Jesus says, I am the way. Now, when we teach this, we seem as if we are telling people that Jesus is an accessory of sin. And if you preach like Paul, you'll always be quoted that you're telling people to continue to what? So that's why you hear rumors that Fanero tells people to continue to sin. No, their problem is we refuse to teach through Moses. We chose to teach through Christ. Because some of us, I might not be so old, but some of us who have grown a bit enough have tried it. We know what it's like to work yourself out, to do things, and you find yourself in the same thing you're trying to struggle to take out. And we also understand the place where you simply yield to Jesus and allow what he has given you to take its root. And you find that this sin life starts to become a very simple thing breaking off you. Even the thing you thought was very strong starts to become so weak. Why? Because it's in the light of his glory and grace. Choose Jesus' way. Choose Jesus' way. Paul finishes and says, if I was trying to be good, I would be rebuilding the same old barn that I tore down. I would be acting as a charlatan. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it did not work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could become God's man. Verses 20, Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. Because the Lord just tells you don't steal, stealing is wrong. Christ's way tells you how to walk out of sin and also enables you to walk out of sin. That's the work of grace, to show you how to walk out of sin and enable you to walk out of sin. Such so that when you're out, you don't say, for us, we are living right. You, you are living wrong. No, when you come out, you can actually say, ladies and gentlemen, this thing came out of me and I know entirely it was not my work, but the work of God operating in my life. The danger of that is, in our present traditional invitation ministry, we take the glory of the man of God and then we put it to Christ, which disturbs many because some people want to keep the glory. I'm the one who delivered her. It wasn't for me. She would not have stood. Ma, it takes away all of that and it beautifies this Christ such that you understand that you cannot change your son, you cannot change your daughter, you can't change your husband. Only God can. Somebody shout hallelujah. And so he says, I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I've been crucified with Christ. 
my ego is no longer central. It's no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. I'm no longer driven to impress God because Christ lives in me. And that living in me is already enough for God to justify me through faith. And it's the beginning of that that he who is pleased to live in, because I tell people, if God can still be pleased to live in a man who is living in weakness, who are you? If God can live in this weak flesh, this flesh which can lie, and, and still he says, I live in you, who are you to judge people? No. Do the way of Christ and just allow him to fix people. And then he says, it's no longer important to appear righteous before you, Oh, have your good opinion. I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine. It is lived by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going to go back on that. Is it not clear to you that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come only by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. You can't be right with God only by keeping rules. You are right with God because you believe in Jesus. This is the message of the cross. Let us impute righteousness on people as we show them what righteousness does. They will walk out of sin. But if we set our own standards and build our own righteousness, and out of that righteousness, start judging people that they are not good and for us we are the good ones. Let me tell you, all of us before Jesus Christ, we all have our weaknesses. Even the most right-meaning, most righteous person physically, if you check them inside, something in there is broken. I've walked with God since eight. Since eight. Anybody who has walked with God for so long knows this thing. It has been entirely His work of grace. There was a time you could have died there was a time you made mistakes that have killed others. You said things that have destroyed others. You stood in places where others never came out. But by God's infinite grace, you are still here. You think those who died in the same walk were less righteous? No. Only the grace of God kept you this far. And that grace will lead you home. Our message is simple. You are the righteousness of God. Through faith. And continue believing it and speaking it over your lives. The sign of circumcision will start happening. You'll start to see witnesses walk out of your life. Why? Because it is easy, like I said, to live what you are than to become what you're not. I would not blame your heart if it has war. Because this is the war happening in the church of Jesus Christ across the world. Grace versus law. Grace preachers are accused of many things and they're not going to stop. But mark my words, we love God and we want men to walk right before God. And these hands you saw up today are all living witness that God can change a man as they continue to yield because there's nothing that disturbs hell like imputed righteousness. Nothing disturbs hell like imputed righteousness. So every time somebody takes you to six, first come back to two and three. 
six will make sense. Because you say, how? How can I be under grace and live this life? You will start to see that you cannot be under grace and you just give excuses of living wrong. You can't. And that would be a misrepresentation of God. That would be a misrepresentation of God. You remember the prodigal son? He went and wasted himself. But do you know the transformation of this man came when he said, mm. the home I come from, he discovered this true identity. Even a servant lives better. And because of that identity, if he identified with his home, father's home and he returned back home and repented, how much more you who identify with Christ? There are things in my life, for me this is my journey, that sometimes there are things I see and I'm like, no, I'm the righteousness of God. This won't happen. You understand? You know that kind of mind that I need to represent the work of heaven. But I know I can't do it because I'm trying not to. But it has to begin from what I believe, that I am the righteousness of God through faith. And because of that righteousness, I receive the seal of circumcision, the seal of living right. As you continue doing that, these things will go. Do the same for your marriages. Do the same for your children. Do the same for everybody around you. You are in an organization and leading people. Tell them who they are in God. Because whatever they are not in God, they already know. It's not new. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now my heart's prayer for you as we close. Father, help us to not only understand this great message, but understand its responsibility as we leave the signs that this message produces. That right believing will lead to right living. Help us embrace the righteousness that you've given us through faith. And help us not go back to self-righteousness, but to look to you, Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. And to believe that you'll work in us both to will and to do according to your good pleasure. And by that faith, I believe, God, that every man at the sound of my voice will not struggle to live a glorious life in Christ Jesus. In our bodies, in our visions, in our minds, in our ministries, in our businesses, in our families. In Jesus' name we have prayed and believed in all sense. Those of you who want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. I believe with my heart and I confess with my mouth that you are Lord of my life from today. I'm born again. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999-400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.